0: Alright, alright, here we go. It's episode 45 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. This is the NBA edition. I am your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at Sleepy J underscore Pregame. Joined here by NBA betting expert, got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mack Rivers. And you guys can always get us at Pregame.com. Alright, here we go, guys. NBA Finals, game number three on the horizon. Mackenzie and I, we're going to go ahead, we're going to talk through that. Do a quick recap there, Mackenzie, of NBA game two Warriors go ahead. They get the win there. Nice blowout. They even the series at 1-1. Let's go ahead and take a look at game two. Mackenzie, do you have any thoughts coming out of that game going into game number three?
1: Yes. So after two games, two blowouts, you look at the final margins and the Vegas spread was you look at the average within a point of expectation. So these teams are very close knit and it's going to come down to uh, some nitty gritty details is the more experienced team in the Warriors going to do it or is it the Celtics depth going to do it? I think the Celtics have a problem with Steph Curry and I think they're going to change quite drastically. Uh, I foresee a 2015 final situation where Curry was killing them and they just said, okay, anybody else, we're going to double them early and often uh, up at the top of the key. What the Warriors were doing very differently in game two was a lot of pick and roll, Uh, not very much Draymond Green handling the ball, but Steph Curry coming off picks and rolls, looking to score. And I don't think that's going to continue because the Celtics can't allow it to. Celtics, number one defense in the NBA, but I've brought up this before. They've had trouble scoring against point guards. They were top 10 in every first, every position, but number 11 against point guards. And then Curry versus Marcus Smart. That was a big matchup. Defensive player of the year versus offensive player of the generation, maybe. Steph Curry shooting 57% from the field and dropping 40% from three against Marcus Smart. So I think something's got to change. Something's got to change up. And the question is, if they double Curry, how is Robert Williams, their best off-ball defender, going to hang in there on a four-on-three with Draymond Green and Andrew Wiggins, people like that coming downhill at at Adam with numbers? If Robert Williams isn't fully healthy, I think the Celtics got a big problem. Also, turnovers. Uh, Gary Payton, the second, returned. Looked amazing, really. I mean, if you look at his numbers, okay, the Celtics shot five for 10 against him. nothing special, 50%. But in 15 possessions going at Gary Payton as the main defender, Celtics committed five turnovers. Turnovers were a problem in game one, even though they won. Uh, they were minus 11 versus the Warriors in game one. That went up to minus 18 in game two. Gary Payton in 26 minutes, and it's definitely making a big difference in this series. So we'll see what kind of adjustments the Celtics make, but uh, definitely the Warriors made a big difference, big change from game one to game two. Uh, changing the way they're doing it on offense with Curry off. Ah, uh, coming off more picks and rolls, and Gary Payton definitely making his imprint on the defensive side of the ball. You know, we talked about Gary Payton in
0: the first podcast that we did going into the finals, and you and I kind of expected him to miss Game One and come out Game Two and, and be healthy and ready to go. He looked really good defensively. He makes a world of difference. You know, one of the things I noticed with Golden State in the last game is that they were they were just kind of trying to tie him up. We're like if Boston had got the ball anywhere in the paint. Uh, they were quickly grabbing at, at the ball, trying to tie it up, and they were just basically just ripping the ball away from Boston and, and getting steals that way. That's gotta change. Boston at least, you know, if they're not gonna put the ball on the ground, they gotta try to put it in the basket. I think there's going to be a lot of differences in this game. I think this game's going to look completely different from the first two. You mentioned the blowouts and you know, in game one it was quarter four for Boston and game two it was quarter three for the Warriors. But you had mentioned that the spread hasn't mattered thus far. Is that something that we think that's going to continue? Will the spread even matter, you know, going into this game right now? Boston minus three and a half, and we have a total of two twelve and a half. and In regards to the spread, do you think it's going to matter
1: in this game? I don't think spreads are going to matter very much. I think we are in a different NBA where the margins, I mean, you talk about like one, three, changing the entire momentum, entire complexion of a game. And we saw in the Warriors in the fourth quarter when they, when they were up against it and the Celtics had a new defensive wrinkle against Curry. It really became a snowball effect, and snowball effects are so common in the NBA where if you're trying to to, to get that needle in between losing and winning by one, two, or three, it just it's very uncommon. And got some numbers behind me. This is from Ralph Michaels on Twitter. Last sixty-three times in the NBA finals, there was a spread less than six points. This goes all the way back to 2010. So the modern NBA and maybe a few years before the three-point revolution. Sixty-two wins for the winning team 62 times the team that won straight up out of the 63 won against the spread and the other time it was a push so if you're looking at the celtics i would say don't mind laying the three and a half and if you're looking at the warriors i say don't mind with the money line but it'll be interesting to see if that trend goes and and, uh, holds up pretty interesting there now
0: let's go back to what we did with our bets going into game one Uh, You and I would give out a bunch of props to get a bunch of quarter bets, half bets, things like that. Uh, We didn't do too well there on our player props, but we did well with the quarter stuff. And going into game three, uh, we don't have any quarter stuff here, McKenzie. We have a bunch of players that we're going to uh, probably going to go ahead and attack. And I think now is probably the time to where uh, that we really want to do that because I think we know what the rotations are looking like and things like that. We'll get into those player props. But I do want to bring this up, McKenzie, because it's something that we've Heard probably over the last couple of days, and it's like, what players can we trust right now? Like, now it's getting into crunch time. Game one's out of the way. Game two's out of the way. You know, who are we looking at to be the most trustworthy person on these teams? I I don't see how it can't be Curry for the Warriors. They've talked about Clay struggling. Draymond's not going to give you a ton of points. Is Wiggins super trustworthy? He's probably trustworthy, you know, to go out there and, you know, give you his averages. But the guy they have to put the most trust in is the guy that is getting them through, um, you know, each and every game. And and that's Curry. So I think he's the most trustworthy right now. Is there anybody that you're looking at that maybe that you can't trust right now uh, out of these two teams?
1: I really think Curry is the only guy, you know, from a historical, what we usually expect, uh, elite performance in the playoffs that we can trust to continue. Because let's look at Jason Tatum. And coming into this series, the question was, Who's the better player, Jason Tatum or Steph Curry, at this point in their career? Steph Curry's answered that question to the affirmative. Jason Tatum, I saw this in the mini movie ABC does, like an eight-minute, like, dramatic mini movie uh, coming into game one. And before game one, Jason Tatum sitting around, talking to his friends and family, just kind of just taking it all in at Chase Center. and He's like, man, I'm 24 years old. This is the finals, man. This is the finals. I'm 24 years old. And this is the NBA finals. I can't believe it. What he's saying is, in other words, I am happy to be here. And good for him, young man. You deserve to be happy. You've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. Uh, You keep tweeting out pictures of you in Kobe clothes and in Kobe poses. And yeah, you've done something that very, very few people like Kobe have done, which is at 24 years old, score about 27 a game and lead your team to the finals. Very rare. Let's actually talk about the games that he's played since then. Game one, very nervous, very off, three for 17 shooting. He did show up for his team. He had 13 assists. He was plus 16 when he was on the court. And Jason Tatum for the regular season was the number one plus minus guy. And I think he doesn't deserve enough credit for the defense that he puts in, uh, the team ball that he plays, where if if he's not scoring like he was in game one, he has no problem switching to that next gear. And that's why he had the number one plus minus in the league. In game two, His shot was falling. He did hit a couple early threes, five, I think, in the first quarter or first half. However, he had a minus 36 plus minus, his worst of his career. When he was on the court, he was minus 36. I think he's in his head a little bit. Jeff Van Gundy was talking about this. He was hesitating in the second half where he's thinking, wow, this is my finals moment. This is it. Oh, man, I'm having a good shooting game. How does that factor in? And he's not contributing. He's not affecting the game the way that he has. Uh, throughout these playoffs and in the regular season. And I expect that to continue. I don't think that uh, he's... I mean, LeBron James made it to the pl- to the finals when he was 23, and he put up a lot of numbers. But game after game, he was not more effective. He was less effective against those 2007 Spurs team. I don't think Jason Tatum can do it by himself. I don't think he's that superhero. And I don't think it's a coincidence that after game one, Ime Aduka said, uh, coach of the Celtics, Ime Aduka, we're a team. We're not a superstar-driven organization. We're not the Nets or the Heat or the Bucks, were the three examples he gave. We're a unit, and that's admirable. But let's talk about units winning the NBA Finals because it really doesn't happen. Uh, obviously, last year, the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis put up 50 to barely win by four uh, to clinch that series. That's the kind of superhero effort that the NBA Finals has become synonymous with. Before that, LeBron James won Finals MVP in 2020. Kawhi Leonard, one of the great playoff runs, scoring 30 a game against the Hurt Warriors team, but can only beat who's out there. And he did it in 2019. Warriors won three or four before that. The only time they didn't. Kyrie Irving hit the shot. LeBron James did what he did in that 2016 series. Then we get to 2014. And you can argue, yeah, this is a unit team. There was no one singular force that defined the 2014 Spurs. But doesn't that kind of make the argument that Units rarely get it done when you need a team with four Hall of Famers, three of which have played for, what, 15 years together and won three championships. Yeah, if you have that kind of institutional knowledge built in, you have a chance. These Celtics with a rookie head coach and with a 24-year-old best player don't have that. So I'm not saying they can't win it because the Warriors are extremely flawed themselves. I mean, we're talking about players you can trust. After Curry, Thompson, four of 19. Jordan Poole was completely absent from both games until the fourth quarter when they were up by 15 and he got to, you know, shoot, five, shoot 35 footers and not worry about it because they were doing so well at that point. So we have really two flawed organizations team. The Celtics, I do not think, have that guy that historically you need, but I do think they're a deeper team than the Warriors and the Warriors really so far in these finals haven't had a second guy to step up. So it's going to be interesting down the stretch, but as far as trustable players, it's it's really a group of one at this point in the 2022 finals.
0: It's tough for me to say that I can't trust Tatum after what I've seen him do in the playoffs, but, you know, you make a lot of good points there. I will say the one guy that I can't trust right now is probably one of the most important players to Boston, and that's Williams. He's banged up, Mackenzie. He doesn't look right. You know, going into our finals podcast, we talked about you know, what we expected from him and, and the games that we thought that he would be used the most and, and, and the games we thought he would be used the least. The game in which we thought he would be used the least was game three because we felt with Boston going back home that they would have a boost there from all the players, the crowd around them. And if they did push Williams in game one or game two, coming back home, he would probably be needed less. And he played 24 minutes in game one, and then he played 14 minutes in game two. But it's not just the the wear and tear. He he got a little banged up there. He ended up colliding with Marcus Smart. His knee took a took a decent shot there. He was wincing, and then he ended up not playing the fourth quarter. So I can't trust him more than anybody right now to go out there and do what Boston may have expected him to do. So one of the props I'm looking at here, McKenzie, is I'm looking to go ahead and I'm going to play Williams under his alternate point total, which is four and a half. I understand it's a very low total. Uh, He can go out there and, and, you know, go out there and make a couple buckets and beat you. But he played 14 minutes last game. He took one shot and he made it. If I could play him under four and a half points for plus 180, uh, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to do that because I'm not sure that he gets a whole lot of run here. They have to rest this guy at some point. And this is one of the things that I that we talked about going into this is that they're going to have to spread his minutes out and his games out to when they hold them back and when they push them. And this is a, a clear game where they cannot go out there and push him because they might not have him the rest of the series and they're going to need this guy. So I'm looking at his alternate points under four and a half. I think that you guys might even want to get cute, maybe even potentially a pizza bet where you alternate bet his points under his rebounds under assists under anything. And because everything's going to be correlated, if he only goes out there and plays, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 minutes, maybe we don't even see him for uh, 10 minutes in this game. If that's the case, you know, we have a good chance to go ahead and and hit a nice parlay. Maybe you can get yourself a a 10 to 15 to one parlay, but I can't trust Williams right now, Mackenzie. I don't trust his health. Um, And I I think that you and I kind of nailed that going into this, into the finals where he is going to have his up games and down games. And there's no question in my mind, game three is going to be a game that he's going to be down. So I'm not sure if you like that, uh, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Under, points alternate four and a half is uh plus 180
1: just makes a bunch of sense to me it makes a lot of sense to me too I like it because there's a tremendous variability with this if he plays 25 minutes if he plays his normal amount of minutes he's not only going to go over his four and a half he's going to go over the six and a half already reduced points that he's set I think there's a good chance that he has a zero zero type performance which has happened for example his very first game of the playoffs he obviously had been hurt played 15 minutes he had two points Two rebounds. Playoff game before that, it was last year, game three, six minutes. He was dealing with something, 0.0 rebounds. They might have to pull him. Jalen Rose, after the game, immediately said, Let me say something out loud. Time Lord is injured. There is something that is not being discussed publicly there's in no f- official injury report. You mentioned the Marcus Smart crash. He just did not look right. And if he does not look right the first couple minutes, I don't think Imeo Duke has any problem saying, Okay, well, If we need him, game four, if we happen to lose, desperation mode, okay. But until then, I'm going to take my shot with Grant Williams, with the healthy guys we have out there. You mentioned he played 14 minutes. It was his lowest minutes total this entire playoffs. And let's talk about him coming back from injury. Two points, two rebounds, his first game of the playoffs. Next game, only four points. So already we have multiple examples in these playoffs of him being incredibly reduced. In fact, I talked about the first games of the playoffs. Two of the last three games, they've had to pull him. Game seven, only played 14 and a half minutes, two points last game. After his injury with Smart, they had to pull him almost immediately. So t- teams in this position coming off a loss at home in games three often roll. Not saying that's going to happen, but there's multiple ways, whether they're down or whether they're up, whether he's playing well, and they say, okay, well, we're up enough. We can we can put him on ice because we're up 15 and we can, we can take our chances. Or if they're down and saying, this ain't working, where Ime Adoke pulls them. So I like it. I think there's better than a 40% chance, which would be obviously a positive EV situation, that he goes out there, Anthony Davis style, shakes his head, I can't do it today. And they take him down. I wouldn't be
0: shocked, McKenzie, if they just use him for defensive possessions. Go out there, win the tip. Go out there and stand on the free throw line if if we need a rebound or something like that from a bad free throw shoot or something like that where he's just used primarily for defensive situations. And maybe he goes out there and he gets a seven, eight, nine minutes, but it's all defensive stuff. Uh, very little offensive um, interaction, I think, maybe with Boston. I think that's probably the way to go with him. It sucks because he's a, he's a really good player, but this is one of the things that, you know, you have to deal with throughout the season. Uh, sometimes some of your best guys, you know, they, they just can't give 100%. Now, with Williams, is all banged up here, McKenzie, and we don't expect him to go you know, full throttle here, or maybe not even at all. I don't see how we don't play Looney over his points. It's listed right now at six and a half. There's some juice to the over we were going through and we were looking at uh, the first round, second round, third round, and now the finals. Looney started out against Denver. He was playing less than like 20 minutes a game. And then same thing with, with Memphis, but you know, since the Western conference finals and the finals, He's playing over 20 minutes a game. He's gone over six and a half points, five out of seven games in the Western Conference Finals and Finals. If Williams is not out there, I think that the Warriors go, well, if Clay's not feeling it and we don't want to just get everybody locked in here on Curry, let's use a little Looney. And we've seen him before, and we saw it in the Western Conference Finals where Looney played a big role helping them score. Media had like 21 points in the second game against Dallas. Nobody saw that coming. Dallas did not expect it. And it was like, cool, there's another piece to the puzzle. And if Williams is not going to be able to be out there, I think Looney gets over six and a half points without a doubt. Uh, I would make this number slightly higher. I, mean, I would say maybe eight and a half might get me to kind of consider it. But I could see Looney going for 10 plus in this one. So I'm all
1: over that. How are you feeling about that one? I like it. I like the trend line you mentioned. Since the Western Conference Finals, 10 points a game continues to go over this prop. Additionally, there was three times... In game two, where Robert Williams sat and they put Kevin Looney in. Three for three, the Warriors went on a run in that particular situation. Plus eight in the first quarter when Robert Williams sat and they brought Kevin Looney in. And then in the second half, they both started. They were doing well. Uh, the Warriors were. And then Williams got hurt, tried to play through it, obviously looked not himself. They took him out. So that was a good stretch, but that's not what I'm counting here. I'm counting after they took Williams out, they put Looney back in once plus seven in a couple minutes. And then in the fourth quarter without them, they put him back in and they were also plus. So I think what's working will continue. And I think without, with less Williams, more opportunities for Looney is just uh, one plus two equals three. You know, I'm hearing a lot of like game planning, uh, a lot
0: of like, you know, quarter blowouts and things like that. I'm curious what your thoughts are with maybe live betting. Some of these guys, like if Curry's being doubled out there, you know, do we go in and do we look at his points under? If Williams looks like he's not gonna be a key key contributor, you know, do we go ahead and, and maybe fire some unders on him? Maybe look at some overs on the other guys, you know, do we look at over on Looney? So is this a game where you feel like live betting
1: could be, you know, really beneficial to us, you know, heading into this one? Yes, I think there's a lot of opportunities to talk about high variance games. That doesn't necessarily mean we know who's gonna do well and who's gonna do not. Sometimes it means We know who's going to be out there and who's not. I'll give you an example. When the Warriors went up 23 at the end of the third quarter, I would bet dollars to notice that that was not going to be a down-the-stretch, play-everybody game. You could still get Jason Tatum, who had about 26 points at the time, under 32-and-a-half. You could still get Jalen Brown, who had 17 points at the time, under 23-and-a-half, and they played about two minutes in the fourth quarter. Bill Simmons on his podcast said in game one there was one three in the third quarter, that if Steph Curry would have hit it, you could just tell the roof was going to come off the building. That game was going to be over, but he missed it. The Celtic came through in the fourth quarter with a huge rally. I would argue in the third quarter, uh, when he hit that back-to-back three, when he went around the corner and thice took two steps back too far and he hit about a 30-footer, that was the end of the game. That put him up 17. There was a couple minutes in the third quarter. They had all the momentum. I know some statisticians don't believe in momentum. I am not one of those folk. I felt the game was over. I didn't play it. I regret it now. But looking at it, when you see these blowouts start to happen or you see a certain player, I don't think they can play him in the second half because I think they're going to have to go small and try to catch up. Things like that present great opportunities in-game because the, the, the markets, the books are not adjusting uh, for these kind of, uh, I'd say, soft science type ideas. They're algorithmic-based. They're saying, okay, he's played this many minutes and this is a season average and all that stuff. That doesn't really matter if you have a one factor edge, like, hey, they're about to pull Tatum. He's not going to play but two minutes in the fourth quarter. That trumps all that, and that's opportunities for the betters. It's crazy as you were talking, I was going back and thinking about game two, how quick everything
0: unraveled for Boston, and to where you really needed to be in front of your computer at that, you know,
1: within like that three, four minute window, you know, to go ahead and probably fire off some really good bets. I'll give you another one. The unders are generally the way to go when they have to. Especially early in a series like this, Imaadoke with down twenty nine to go, he immediately thought about Game Three. The ser- the game was over, so he put Neesmith Smith in there, and he put a bunch of players that are not going to be lighting the ball up. They only scored forty four points, kind of in a in a pickup game. It was funny; it's the NBA Finals, but nobody was playing. It was more of like a, a scrimmage, and those kind of sin- situations are often. Uh, take twenty-four seconds in the shot clock. Let's just not get anybody hurt. Type situations. Generally, look under as soon as the game gets out of reach. For example, this was about two ten and a half entering the fourth quarter, two o nine and a half, and ended up being one ninety-five. So ten points under in the fourth quarter because it wasn't anything like what these teams generally bring in terms of firepower. You
0: know, as you mentioned under, I was sitting here thinking about
1: you know what I've seen with these two
0: teams in the first quarter. And it's like a three-point shooting contest. And these teams have been really efficient, at least from what I've seen in the first quarter. I think maybe the first quarter in this game could be potentially bumped up a little bit. I would consider going ahead and playing that under. Uh, I don't really feel strong necessarily on the side in the total. But I will make a couple cases here. But, McKenzie, I do see, and this is something that you guys can't live bet. You're going to have to bet this pre-flop, And that's McKenzie and I's best bet. We're on the same bet. So I see that now, Mackenzie. We're saving that. We have two other props on here. Let me make a case for Clay Thompson. Hasn't looked good, right? I mean, it's it is what it is. They're they're getting Clay to dribble. They're getting Clay to try to move to the basket. And for those of you guys that, that have watched Clay Thompson over the years, you know he's one of those guys where he's just gonna get the ball, get his spot, and it's going up and it's going in. And they've been moving him around a lot. But I think that there's an opportunity here with Clay. They've dropped his three-point makes down to two and a half, and they've also dropped his points down to 18 and Mackenzie. That's something that we haven't seen, regardless of the fact Clay has struggled in certain games, and they—they—it's they, like they refuse to move his point total off of 20 and a half. They refuse to move his three-point total from three and a half. But now they've done it, and we're not looking to go ahead and attack the points over or the threes over. But what I'm looking to attack is a leading three-point shooter in this game. I'm with you. I think Boston has to do something with about Curry to not just let this guy go bonkers. And Tatum hasn't looked exactly great, and I, and I can give a couple reasons on why I think Tatum could potentially struggle from the outside here. One, he hasn't been super effective, and two, he's going to end up getting much better looks as he gets to the basket. And I think maybe with Williams not on the inside, that that might actually give Tatum a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a bigger lane for him to go ahead and, and attack the basket. But I think Clay, no matter what, will not stop shooting the basketball. If there was ever a time where that guy was going to slow down shooting, it would have been last game when he was ice cold. It did not matter. He still shot the ball 19 times. The Warriors are going to figure out a way if Curry is being double teamed or if they're getting the ball out of his hands. They're going to figure out an answer to that because I don't think that that's a – an adjustment they want to make on the fly in the finals on the road. They're going to have Clay set up to go ahead and get going. And then it becomes, okay, now we have to worry more about Clay. Maybe they're not able to go ahead and just consistently lock down on Curry. So you could play Clay to be the number one three-point shooter in this game and get him at six to one. I think there's a pizza bet opportunity there. And with that said, Mackenzie, you were kind of thinking maybe Curry under might be a way to kind of counter that as well.
1: Yeah, so – As well as Curry has played, and I think he's been tremendous—31 and a half points on great true shooting in these finals. Ask ourselves the question: Does it make sense that his points prop went from 26 and a half to 28 and a half? It went up by two points. Number one, the Warriors are expected to score four less points. Their team total was 108 and a half juice to the over. Now it's 104 and a half, so less points overall, but more points for Curry. Secondly. What are the Celtics going to be talking about every second of the day or every hour at least? Maybe they'll sleep some from from Sunday night to Wednesday. How do we stop Curry? How do we change the complexion of what we saw in the second half from the Warriors? So I think, not sure if I'm going to play it. I think, you know, I I, I was close to playing it in game two when they, thinking about the same, there's only one guy beating us, so let's not let let him beat us type situation. I do feel you on the clay thing because – if you look at it, 19 shot attempts, yeah, that's a lot, and he only made four. Okay, well, Poole scored 17 points. Are they going to go to him? No, no, no. I don't see it that way. And this is the thing about SportsCenter. When, when you watch the highlights of game two, it looks like Jordan Poole was right there next to Curry getting the big hug. Man, he really did it. He comes into the game scoring three points, having scored three points, shooting one for five, when the Warriors, I talked about that Curry, colossal three, as Mark James said. Uh, putting him up 17. Poole comes in after that and he scores 14 points in the third and fourth quarters, literally when the game was out of reach. I don't think that really mattered. I don't think that factored into Steve Kerr's decision making process about who to go to when Curry's taken away. And I think Jordan Poole's going to have trouble staying on the court in Boston in front of Tatum and in front of Brown. That is the one guy you hunt on the Warriors defense. With Gary Payton playing so well in game two, I don't see Poole getting an outsized portion of the minutes or the opportunities on the offensive end. So it's got to go somewhere. And Draymond Green is four for 15 in this series. He's not going to be taking any more shots than he needs to. Kevon Looney can do what he can do. He's six. He was six for six last game, but he can't create. So there's really only one guy, Andrew Wiggins having trouble scoring in the paint four for 12 last game. There's one guy that I think not only will keep shooting, but has the capacity to create off the dribble and actually create offensive things that make sense. So, you're going with his threes. I think his points over 18-and-a-half make some sense. And in ge- but in general, I play unders and not overs, so that's why I'm still stuck on uh, will I or will will I not curry under 28-and-a-half. You know, Mackenzie, as you were talking there,
0: I kind of think the best thing that happened to the Warriors in game two was Jordan Poole, and here's why. I think we all sit back at the, at the end of this year in the offseason and we wonder what do they do with Jordan Poole. What do they do with Clay Thompson? I think if there's two interchangeable pieces on this Warriors team, it's going to be if we can get rid of one guy, it would be Clay Thompson. This is probably the perfect time to do that. But let's face it, Clay, he's a Warrior. He's going to go out there. He's given his heart and soul to this entire franchise, this entire team. It would be hard to go ahead and let him go. But I do think that there's an opportunity here where. If if pool steps up, it wakes up Clay, and if Clay's out there, kind of struggling a little bit, pool knows I have to come in here and I have to do the things that I've been doing. And the fact that pool woke up, I think that wakes up Clay. I really really think that. And I think both guys now, and I'm I'm not completely against you with pool, but I think that that now is the time that Kerr says, I need to use this guy as much as I possibly can. And what and we saw it. When that dude has his swag going, he's getting to the rack and he's and he's putting threes up and they're going in. So I don't know where I really fall on Pool, but I do feel very, very strong that Pool wakes up Clay. And that was one of the main reasons why I kinda like Clay to perform much better in this game. So that's kinda where my thoughts are with Pool and Clay. But I don't know if you agree with that, but boy, I feel like Poole, he just wakes up Clay so much right now.
1: Yeah, I believe that players have reactions. what just happened and if they just had a really bad game like clay just did it's not going to sit well with them and they're going to be thinking about it and i was on green under eight and a half points in the last prop and i was close to playing it in game two the reason i didn't is because he had played such a such a bad game that i'm like he's going to do everything in his power to change the narrative if he can he ends up with exactly nine points gets over by a half point and i'm glad i didn't play it in this case yeah i think i think you, you saw the post-game shots with Curry hugging Poole and Thompson in the background looking around smiling, I think he's I think he's going to wake up. And I think it's telling that Poole's over-under was only 13.5 in game two, goes for 17, goes well over the prop, and in game three coming up, is down to 12.5. The market is telling us, despite what he did when the game was out of reach, going 14 of his 17 points when the game was out of reach, the market is telling us they don't expect Poole to stay on the court as much as Thompson in this upcoming game.
0: All right, well it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out, but I think that I certainly think Clay bounces back and ha- and has a better performance for this game. All right, so before we get into our best bet, I do want to throw out a promo thing here McKenzie, but before I get into that, I was thinking about this too and and I kind of want your your thoughts on this. We both agree that Williams is messed up and banged up, right? So there's one key cog out of Boston's Let's just say their team, because that's kind of what Adoku said. He said, there's a team effort. So if you take Williams out, I think that kind of bogs down your offense to a degree. Enter Gary Payton. Who is he going to take away? Draymond's going to go out there and pester whoever he wants. And I know that everybody says that Boston is the, you know, one of the best defenses in the league. But I think for this particular game, Golden State's defense could really throw a monkey wrench at Boston. So I think Boston may struggle in this game. That's just the way I'm thinking about it, because I have a lot of faith in Payton. I have a lot of faith in Draymond. And if Williams is out, I think the better defensive team coming into this game is the Warriors. And that's kind of just the way that I'm thinking about it right now. I don't know if you agree with that, but when I match up, you know, which team could look like the better defensive team here, McKenzie. There's no way I can't pick Golden State going into this game, having the better, better defensive team. That's just kind of where I'm at with that.
1: I think most people were surprised coming into the finals. Everyone knew about the Celtics defense. It was a story of the second half of the season, largely that the Warriors were right there. They were number two in defense. The only team better was the Celtics. And now without arguably their best defensive player. I know Marcus Bart, one defensive player of the year, but mid season, the big change that they made was Robert Williams, uh, given the responsibility to guard more perimeter players, be more active, I think that was the big change. So without him, or at least without him being effective, you could argue that the Warriors were the better defense. Here's the caveat, though. I would argue that currently, right now, unless Thompson turns it around, unless Poole proves uh, more than he has so far, I think the Celtics are the better offensive team, which is you know, surprising. Everything kind of flipped on its head. Because as much as, as off as Tatum has been through two games and as off as Brown was last game, I still think they bring more to the table, more options, with those two guys, and not only those two guys, but Horford and Smart, they like you said, they're a unit. And I think right now the Warriors are dangerously close to having no more options left on offense if Curry is somehow stopped. And I won't
0: argue with you with Boston being the better offense. We've seen Derek White step up. We've seen Horford do his thing. Uh, Brown has looked good early and often, and, and I think at, at some point Tatum's going to he'll go ahead and wake up. Um, Oh, it'll be interesting. Game three is going to be interesting. So before we go ahead and we get into our best bet, Mackenzie and I agree on that one. So I'm really happy about that. Let me go ahead and tell you about our MLB contest right now at pregame.com. It's five hundred dollars for first place. It is called the Free MLB All Star Five Hundred Contest. Uh, you guys have plenty of time to go ahead and sign up for this. I don't believe the uh, I don't believe the entry ends for about another two weeks. Uh, it's a fifty minimum pick, hundred maximum pick net profit is going to win if you are the number one guy you go ahead and you'll take down uh, $500 cash our contest if you guys have been on pregame have been paying out really well a lot of people having a lot of fun we just had another guy uh, the other day he ended up putting up like 40 some units and following some of the guys in in the pregame.com forums uh, is a great way to go because some of these guys are really really good they've been with us for a really long time and they post some really impressive records and he just took down like a thousand dollars so Another contest up there on pregame, and for those of you guys who aren't on pregame, I suggest you probably go over there and you sign up right now. It takes you guys like literally ninety seconds, and if you sign up, you're going to get twenty five free dollars, and you guys could use that to purchase any pick from any pregame pro. If you want to get my stuff, Mackenzie stuff, uh, Fezzik, Griffin, AJ, whoever it might be, you guys will get a free twenty five dollars. You guys can go ahead and you can get a premium pick from one of our pregame.com. Handicapper. So go ahead over there to pregame.com. Make sure you guys go ahead and sign up. Uh, promo stuff done out of the way there. Mackenzie, do you have any
1: promo stuff that
0: you want to do there, Mackenzie? You got anything that you want to kick in?
1: Wasn't long ago, only a few years ago, I was told that I could acquire 25 free dollars if I simply signed up for an account. Man, has my life changed since doing that. I recommend it to anyone. Pregame.com is the website. And if you just sign up, email, no credit card required. You get free $25 to spend however you like. I think I bought Dave Esler's uh, baseball total uh, back in that summer of 2018 or whenever it was. And uh, some ups and some downs since then. But I've definitely been winning as part of the pregame community. And I recommend everybody join. Why not? It's free. All right. So I just wrote down, Mackenzie, that you're going to do half of these reads from now on.
0: <laughs> that sounded like a real professional uh, broadcast there. So anyway, with that said, let's go. Let's get into where best bet there, Mackenzie. I'm going to hand it off to you first. You and I both agree on this one. Let everybody have it. What are we looking at?
1: We're going to go Draymond Green under 22.5 points, rebounds, and assists. There's 21 and a half out there. I recommend you lay the minus 120, grab that extra one, 22.5. So this is matchup based, this is trend based, and I think this is situation based. The matchup, first the Celtics. I talked about his points under, and I still think that is attractive, but there's reasons why the rebounds and assists are attractive too, so why not combine them all? You look at the last 10 games that Draymond Green has played, last four seasons, he's gone under this number in eight of the 10 games. In one of the two games he went over, it was the tank season, 2019-20. Curry wasn't playing. It was a very different situation. Green had a lot to do more than he currently does. So with Curry playing last four years, one time he's gone over this prop, seven times he's gone under. And the trend line in these playoffs, we talked about Kevon Looney coming up, stepping up. It's been night and day. Let's just go one by one. So rebounds, Kevon Looney, more of a factor in this game. Without Robert Williams, I think more of a factor overall. Oftentimes, Draymond Green is running down court. Well, Kevon Looney's cleaning things up on the defensive glass. Only six and a half rebounds per game the last seven. That's the Western Conference Finals and the Finals the same time. That Looney stepped up. Green has had to do less of the rebounding. Assists over that same time frame. He's gone over this number about six. In only five of eighteen games, he's gone over six assists in the entire playoffs. So I'm confident round six is the right number, if not under. And then points. Green has gone, he did it last game, but so including that game, two out of the last 10 games, he's gone over eight and a half points. Don't see that happening. And Again, the Warriors' team total is four points less, and Curry's over-under is two points more. So there's a smaller and smaller percentage of the pie. I expect Green to be able to grab those points. A lot of it's the defense. A lot of teams play, play Curry off the, where he's forced off the ball and he's running around screens. Green's at the top of the key, wondering if he should shoot. Man in the ship. That's not the way that the Warriors are playing right now. It's not the way the Celtics are letting him play. They made this adjustment game, two. Warriors were playing way more pick and roll, way more traditional offense with Steph Curry as the point guard than usual. That means Green has to do less. So that's the situation. I talked about the trend. And again, in this matchup, Green is 2-8 and eight to the under versus the Celtics the last four years. This is higher than it was in game two. Don't see why that should be the case. He's gone under both of these games, 21 PRA in game two, only 20 in game one. I think it goes even further than that, but we don't have to lay that. Under 22.5, I think, is a great bet. A 60% wager, in my opinion. All right, well, I'm glad you hit all the numbery
0: stuff because I have some situation stuff. But let me go ahead and throw some numbers at you real quick. Draymond, in the last game, he shot the ball three times, and he ended up with nine points. Well, five of those points came on the free throw line. So he was drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line. That's where a majority of his points came from. If you watch that game in Game 2, Draymond had probably four, five, six wide-open looks that he refused to go ahead and shoot the basketball. And why was that? Because in game one, he was two for 12. He was actually one for 11 at one point, and he hesitated to go ahead and put that last shot up made it. But Draymond, he 100% reconsidered taking 12 shots in the last game because he did not want to go out there and hurt his team. He decided to go ahead and trade shooting the basketball for assists. And a lot of the plays that he refused to go and shoot the ball, uh, they resulted in assists. So I'm okay trading one assist for two points. I'm I'm okay with that, especially when we're betting the PRA under. But here's what I think, McKenzie. I don't think Draymond's going to get the, the referee uh, treatment here in his favor. One of the major stories coming out of game two was about the referees and Draymond Green and the way that he was playing basketball. Uh, some players had said that, uh, it's like playing football out there. A lot of the media and a lot of stuff we're asking if he should have been ejected, uh, multiple technical fouls. I think Boston goes after Draymond immediately in this game. The One of the talking points, it wasn't about Curry. It wasn't about Clay. It wasn't about anybody. It was about Draymond Green mucking up our offense. And he's going to go ahead and he's going to try to do that again in this game. There's a good chance that Draymond might come in here really reserved and really quiet because he might know. Uh, what to expect? Maybe from the Boston fans, the Boston team, maybe even the referees. Maybe there's a chance Draymond uh, kind of calms down, but we don't see Draymond calm that often. So if he comes in here with guns blazing in Game Three, like he did in Game Two, I think there's a high probability that he gets hit with a T, and that he might even get thrown out of this game because I think Boston might look to target him and say, "Look, hey, Nate Smith, or, or you know, a couple of those bench guys." Um, that can go out there and get in a scuffle with him and can just get him all riled up. You know, they go after Draymond and say, let's get this guy. Let's get him teed up. Let's put him in a position where now they don't have the home court advantage or the referees trying to go ahead and keep him around in the game because, you know, God forbid they threw Draymond out in, in Golden State. Uh, it's not going to go well. Um, the referees are going to have to hear about it, you know, for, you know, two, three, four quarters, however long. So I think that there's that angle there, McKenzie. I wonder how you feel about that. But that's kind of what I'm thinking is that, Boston goes right after this guy, and the referees do not show him,
1: uh, the, do not give him the favors that they gave him in the last game. Yes, and they definitely did give him favors. Don't get it twisted. Yeah, he got a technical. He probably deserved three or four, especially in second quarter. He kicked Jalen Brown while already on the ground with the ball stopped. I think that's the standard definition of a technical. But he said after the game, I deserve beneficial treatment from the referees. That didn't go over well with everybody. I know it didn't go over well with the Boston faithful or the Boston players and staff. So yeah, Tony Brothers was selected for Game Two. Fifteen games he's coached, he's refed against the Celtics. Against exactly, he's refed against the Celtics since 2015. They're eleven. They're thir- they're two and thirteen straight up, and four and eleven against the spread. They never win with this guy. And he was selected for a must-win game for the Warriors. Didn't seem like a coincidence to many people. Bill Burr just. Uh, caused quite a kerfuffle when he went on Jimmy Kimmel and said, yeah, everybody knows the NBA is rigged, and he's a comedian. He had fun with it, but a lot of people raised eyebrows, and they're like, yeah, wait a minute. He has some good points. Not a good look. I think Draymond Green doesn't get any beneficial treatment here. In fact, game one, he fouled out six fouls, nine fouls over the last two games. I could easily see him being told through actions, not through words. This will not go on. You're going to have to take a seat, and less minutes means less opportunities for points, rebounds, and assists. Good for this bet. You mentioned Boston and how different that crowd's going to be. In general, 2022 playoffs at home in San Francisco, Draymond Green averages right around this number, 22.4 points, rebounds, and assists. On the road, that drops 2 to 20.5, just another factor why I think this is a great bet. Draymond Green under 24.5 points, rebounds, and assists.
0: I think this crowd is going to give Draymond the business every time he touches the ball to where he takes the court as if he's the most hated player in Boston, to where he's just being booed constantly. And that's just kind of – it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. But, you know, in my opinion, 22.5 points, rebounds, and assists is just way too much uh, for this particular game for Draymond. So that's our best bet, guys. McKenzie and I feel really good about that, and we think we got this one. Uh, pretty much licked but that'll wrap up the pod guys hopefully you guys got enough stuff from us uh player props and all that good stuff for game three for the nba finals you guys know where to find mckenzie and i on twitter at sleepy jenna score pregame at mac and rivers like subscribe do all that good stuff make sure you guys go ahead and continue to support all the podcasts but with that said i'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck enjoy the games <laughs>